Hi everybody, I'm Dustin. I'm Anna. And we are not qualified to investigate the paranormal, but we might be less qualified then. The locals. The locals. Okay, hi everybody, welcome back. If this is your first time listening in, then welcome in. As always, I am your host, Dustin, and with me is my co-host, Anna. You might hear some funny noises going on right now, and that's because we are actually on the road. That's right. This is a live investigation into the phenomena that we're going to be talking about tonight. What? We're investigators. We're, <laughs> yes, we are now investigators. Uh, if you have a hard time hearing Anna sometimes, that's because I, I literally am holding a microphone up to my mouth right now, uh, and when Anna wants to talk, I have to hold the microphone up to her face. <laughs> So hopefully we don't miss anything from her. We're going to make sure that she gets to say what she needs to say. I am her mic boom. We are in a car driving to a place. Anna, do you know where we're driving to? We're driving to Bray Road in Wisconsin. Bray Road in Wisconsin. Anna and I actually spent some time living in northern Illinois. And, of course, a part of living in northern Illinois is spending time in southern Wisconsin. <laughs> it, there, it just is. Uh, there's not much in northern Illinois. But uh, southern Wisconsin has really cool places, like there are breweries and wineries all over the place. There's Lake Geneva. Am I missing something? Madison is technically southern Illinois. I mean, Wisconsin. Right. Madison is technically southern Wisconsin. It's only 45 minutes away to now. 45 minutes to an hour away from, from the border. So we've actually spent time in this area of the country. Again, five years we lived here, and we did drive past the point that we're going to, to be talking about today. Actually, I think we've driven on the road before that this, this cryptid is known to live by. So we're up here visiting family. We decided that while we're up here, it's only 45 minutes away. Let's go ahead and do a live record. Well, it's always live recordings. But let's go ahead and do a recording while we're driving to the location. I will tell Anna the stories, and then we will actually go to the location, drive up and down the location, and see if we can catch a glimpse of this cryptid. So for me, it's it's kind of like a typical drive where you and I are going somewhere new, and I look up stories to tell you about that area. Yeah, right. Like, I'll be like, I'm bored. And Anna will say, well, I'll look up a story for you. And she always knows that I like paranormal stories, so she'll look up, like, a ghost story or a true crime story. Sometimes we'll look those up just to see, you know, what a, what a town is known for. Because if you take the back roads, you go through a lot of really cute towns sometimes, and you kind of wonder, what is this town known for? Why is this still here? So Anna always uh, looks those up for me while I'm driving. What's different about tonight is that Anna is driving. I will be telling her the story. It's not, not very common. No. No, that's all Anna has to say about that. I guess I'm thinking of it like me just driving and listening to a podcast by myself. So it's kind of meta. That's right. Anna has like her own personal podcaster sitting next to her. So I'm ready. I'm ready to jump in here. I only have two stories for you because the third story is us. We are the third story. We'll see about that. Oh, that's a good point. The fun, the really fun thing about this whole excursion is that I don't have a flashlight. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that have to do? We, we don't have a freaking flashlight. Like, we're always giving paranormal investigators a hard time for not having, you know, the proper equipment or for having crappy equipment. We're going to this place at night where this cryptid is known to hang out and terrorize the locals at night. And we don't have a flashlight. <laughs> oh, well, we have headlights and brights. <laughs> we do. We have headlights. We have brights. The other thing that I did, and this is a note for all you paranormal investigators out there, is on my phone that almost everybody has, I have my camera settings set to high definition. I'm sorry, ultra high definition. And I have it set to 60 frames per second. You should all do that. You should stop recording with crappy equipment and pretend, although maybe that's your point, is that you're like, oh, any blur can be a ghost now because we can just say, oh, what's that weird blurry thing? And you don't know, right? Whereas now I have my phone set to ultra high definition at 60 frames per second, which uh, records a phenomenal video. Even in, even in the dark. I don't know if that's true or not. But as you said, we have headlights. Yeah, you're making me a little bit insecure that we need to have better equipment. Do we need to stop and get a flashlight? 
We may be stopping along this excursion to get a flashlight. So let's see here. We're about 35 minutes away from our destination. So I think it's a good place to go ahead and start this story, or at least the first story. Anna, how are you? How do you feel? I feel excited and distracted while driving, to be honest. Okay, should I not be reading the story to you while you're driving? No, no, no. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting comfortable. It's just adjusting to having someone put a microphone on my face while I'm driving. I'll just make sure I don't stick it in front of your eyes. <laughs> that is not where my voice comes from, so please, yeah, thanks. What? I learn all kinds of new things on this podcast with Dr. Brewer here. Okay, uh, I have the first part, uh, the first story ready to go. Anna? Tell me a story. The name of the story is the beginning of a legend. In the year of 1936, in the small, quiet county of Jefferson, there stood the St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children. A sprawling estate with ample grounds, the school housed several preserved Native American burial mounds, silent witnesses to history. It was there, amidst this setting of tranquility and ancient whispers, that Mark Shackleman, a 30-something night watchman, embarked on his nightly rounds. Under the cloak of darkness, with only the pale moonlight as his guide, Shackleman made his way through the wide open fields. His job was a solitary one, his responsibility resting in the silent watchfulness of the night. But on that particular night, the silence was broken by an unusual sound, a low, persistent scraping. Squinting through the darkness, he spotted a shadow, hunched over a burial mound, digging much like a canine would. Curiosity peaked and alarm bells ringing in his head. Shackleman approached the scene cautiously. As he drew closer, he found himself rooted to the spot. The shadow he had initially dismissed as a wild animal stood up, revealing its massive form. The beast standing, a full six feet tall, turned to face him, its large body shrouded in dark, matted fur. The pungent stench of rotting meat wafted toward him, turning his stomach. Shackleman's heart hammered in his chest as he took an involuntary step back, his voice catching in his throat. God in heaven, he whispered his voice shaking as much as his hands were. That wasn't a very good Wisconsin accent. Uh, oh, 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 cripes. God in heaven. Oh, criminy. Oh, cripes, God in heaven. Oh, cripes, God in heaven. Nah, I went to, like, Boston on that. Okay, sorry. Anyway, the, the Wisconsin accent is a very subtle accent. I can never get it right. But I'm going to try. In these stories, I'm going to try. As if startled by his voice, the creature abruptly turned and stared at him. In a proto-human voice, the beast screamed the word, at him, and then disappeared into the shadowy woods, leaving behind nothing but the lingering stench and a freshly disturbed mound. The following night, Shackleman saw the beast once more. This time he was prepared. Though his heart still pounded in his chest, he merely watched as the creature went about its business. It didn't notice him, or if it did, it showed him no signs. And then, as abruptly as it had come, it disappeared into the woods once more. After that, Shackleman never saw the beast again. He continued his nightly rounds, the memories of those encounters forever etched in his mind. The beast, its smell, and the disturbed mound remained as a testament to the unexplainable, the myth, the legend that would forever be tied to the grounds of St. Coletta School for the Exceptional Children. This is the story of the Beast of Bray Road. Okay, we're stopping to get a flashlight. Pause, pause podcast. Pause podcast. That's how this works, right? <laughs> I was just going to pause for all, all of you folks. So while Anna is in the convenience store buying a flashlight, I once again want to remind all paranormal investigators out there that if you don't have a piece of equipment before you go on an investigation, you should buy it. It's just a, just a pro tip. Pro tip from, from Dustin. But I'm not qualified to investigate the paranormal. Okay, we have our flashlight, it's charging, and it's not just a flashlight, it's a straight-up spotlight that Anna found. Anna, tell, a, tell, tell them how you knew that they would have a flashlight as soon as you walked in. Well, when I walked in and saw a section that had 
iPads. I was like, I'm pretty sure this gas station has flashlights. They have iPads. It's a it's a gas station that apparently sells iPads. And some of these, I don't know how many of you are uh, live in the U.S., let alone the Midwest of the U.S., but there are some very large gas stations here. <laughs> this, is, this is a truck stop, like full-on, full-service. You can shower here and do all, whatever your needs are as a trucker. And that includes buying a spotlight. So we got our spotlight. We are now uh, ready to go. We are on our way. Anna, I think the last question you asked me before we pulled off the road was... What does Gadara? Is that what he said? Yeah, Gadara. Okay, so let's jump into this real quick. I had a very hard time. I could find everywhere online that there was a story from the 1930s that this story went back to the 1930s but I couldn't find that origin story I finally found an inkling of it on a Tumblr post where it mentioned the name of the person and so I looked that up and I I wrote the story and the story didn't have that line in there now there is a documentary on Amazon about the Beast of Bray Road and the documentary, if I'll, I'll put the link, of course, in the show notes. If you are an Amazon Prime member, you can watch this movie for free. It's a short documentary. It's like 45 minutes long. In the documentary, there is a woman journalist who is kind of, she wrote a book on this, on the Beast of Bray Road. And she's kind of the one who has helped keep this legend alive. She's collected all this data and all these personal stories, uh, all these anecdotal stories. When this journalist told this story, she put that in there. She said that I couldn't find it anywhere else, but I'm guessing she's the one who collected the information to begin with. And so when she told this story, she also went into how the school that was there or the the facility that was there that this night watchman worked at was a uh, I don't know how to put this a uh, a mental facility a facility for just I don't know how, how do you say that in 1930s it, it could have said many things but a psychiatric institution a psychiatric institution although this they called it the school for exceptional children or something like that the Roman Catholic Church ran this place and there was apparently a very disturbed child who lived there and the priest exercised a demon from that child so with knowing that the idea is that when he exercised the demon from the child it went out into the wild and attached itself to some animal now Gadara, this is a really long explanation but Gadara is the name of the place where Jesus exercised the demons out of that man and threw them into the pigs. Have you heard that story? Nope, sure haven't. Wow, okay. So th I think this is one of the only stories where Jesus exercises a demon out of somebody. And so the story goes that there was this man out in the desert of Gadara, or he lived in, the ca in some cave in Gadara, and he was cutting himself and just yelling and screaming. And so when Jesus walked up to him, the man ran up to him and, and basically started talking in demon voice and was like, oh, you're the son of God. Are you, here to, are you here to get rid of us? And Jesus said, yes, I am. And so he said, what's your name? And the demon said, my name is Legion. You haven't heard that? That sounds vaguely, that sounds somewhat familiar. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of one of those things that it's always... They always kind of refer to that in horror movies, horror, like, you know, if, if there's a demon, it's like, I am Legion. Some scholars believe that the name of the demon was Legion, but most people who can actually translate uh, Aramaic or Hebrew know that that just is, it means that there was many, uh, many demons possessing this one person. And so Jesus cast them out, and I guess they asked to be cast into the swine from a nearby farm. And so Jesus is said to have cast the many demons from this man into 2,000 pigs who then ran off a cliff and died in the ocean. Wow. What a story. It is a story because we're in the Midwest. I did a little bit more research, Anna. I looked up the current price for pork and the current weight 
of pigs, average average weight of a pig, and for 2,000 pigs to have jumped off of a cliff, that would be worth $1.7 million in pork today. <laughs> so weird that you looked that up and did that calculation. <laughs> no, it's not, because pork is one of the main exports of the great state of Wisconsin. And I would think that a Midwestern or Wisconsinite slash farmer would want to know those facts. That's the story of why this particular journalist believes that that beast said that word. Thoughts? Uh, what, what did... I always have questions first, but what did the beast... What were they doing? They were on a burial mound, like digging, and then the second night doing what? I don't know if he was digging in another burial mound again, but yeah, he was digging in one of the burial mounds. And the way that they tell this story, it was like, you know, the beast was digging because it knew something was there. And I was kind of like, like a dog will dig if it knows there's a gopher in the ground or like an animal. I think what they were insinuating was that this beast knew there was the souls of Native Americans in the ground. I don't know. Yeah. So it's you said it was the grounds of a psychiatric facility. Why are there burial grounds? Did I miss that? Because they built it on top of a Native American burial ground. So, okay. So there, the context, there were what we think might be Native American burial grounds on the grounds of what were at this time a psychiatric institution and a night watchman sees an animal digging in the ground and it's like six feet tall from his perspective? Yeah, six feet tall. And we'll go into the definition of what this creature is supposed to be and what it looks like next. But yes, he saw a six feet, six, six foot tall man with a wolf head, basically. Okay. Yeah. And then it talked in a proto-human, quote-unquote, voice. Yeah, I don't know what that's... I don't know how you would know what that sounds like, but I guess he knew what that sounded like. And so it talked in that voice and said that word. Yeah. And that was his... That that word, Gadara, could also be, like, quite a growly sound, I'm wondering. Oh, 100%. Like, I don't... I don't know if he said it was Gadara or if she was, like... You know, what was the sound? He's like, and then she was like, oh, Gadara, that's from the Bible. And that's this thing. And da, da, da. you know what I mean? Like that's she's already primed, right, to, to kind of hear biblical things or to believe that this is a demon because she had heard those other stories already. Well, she's potentially filling in gaps with her preferred explanation. Yeah. Right. So any more questions about the first story? No, not not at this moment. Okay, good. I'm going to go into the description then. And and this beast changes. The description of this cryptid changes. But there are some pretty standard features of this beast that they that that most people report on. So let me just go into the basic description here and feel free to ask questions as we go along. The Beast of Bray Road, as it's known in local folklore of Elkhorn, Wisconsin, is a cryptid, a creature of cryptozoology, often described as a werewolf due to its canine characteristics, although some also liken it to Bigfoot. Standing at a staggering height of about six to seven feet tall when on its hind legs, the Beast of Bray Road has an imposing, terrifying presence. It is often described as being covered in dark, coarse, and matted fur that gives it a rugged, untamed appearance. Its body is muscular and hulking, reflecting significant strength. It has broad shoulders with strong, sinewy limbs that end in claws capable of digging into earth and presumably inflicting significant damage. The beast's lower body has been described as eerily similar to that of a canine, with haunch-like hips and strong, sturdy legs. One of its most distinguishing features is its head, which resembles that of a wolf or German shepherd. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me this creature has legs like a dog and a head like a wolf? Or legs like a dog and a head like a dog. <laughs> That's right. Canine-like legs and a canine-like head. All right. What's in the middle? Yeah. Because so far, it's not, it's not cryptid or paranormal. <laughs> 
I think, and, and one of the things that I've read about this particular cryptid is that uh, some people believe it to be, to be just a large breed, and Great Pyrenees was actually one of the breeds that somebody said it could have been. Yeah, and those dogs, and those are huge, long dogs. So if that dog was stretched out or standing propped up on whatever, on something, it would be very tall. Yeah. And so, just just to fill everybody in a little bit on Anna and I, we have a Great Pyrenees puppy that we're currently raising. Her father was 110 pounds and ginormous when it stands on its hind legs. So I, I kind of like knew what this thing was going to look like just by having a picture of our puppy's dad and knowing... They're so long as dogs go. So long. Yep. So like Anna said, yeah, this whole thing's a dog basically. But I think with how tall it is, that throws people off. And plus, it's standing on its hind legs a lot. And it's very agile on its hind legs. Now, there's also a UFO component to this whole thing. And I'll go into that in a second. I don't have anything prepared on that. Although sightings are rare, those who have encountered the beast often report a terrible smell. A mix of decaying meat and wet fur accompanying its presence. Despite its hulking size, the beast is said to move with surprising speed and agility, capable of disappearing into the woods surrounding Bray Road in a flash. In all, the Beast of Bray Road is the embodiment of local folklore, a creature that instills fear and intrigue in equal measure, forever a part of the mysterious tapestry that makes up Elkhorn, Wisconsin. So, uh, other than this is a dog, what are your thoughts, Anna? And it only appears around Bray Road? Yeah, uh, Bray Road, but I think it's seen throughout the county and adjacent counties. Okay, and that could because in the first story, where was that located? Like that that institution, that property? Jefferson County, so where we're going, Bray Road, it's the next county to the west, I believe. Okay, so we're not going to be on those grounds or near them. Okay. No, but this next story, which is the first truly documented story, is on Bray Road. Truly documented? Do tell. Okay, so... The next story we're going to talk about is the story that kind of kicked everything back off. Back in, there have been sightings since the 30s. That story I told didn't come out until this next story was told, and then that reporter started kind of following all these stories. Then she started to get to all these reports. So once that happened, this man's son, I think, uh, Shackleman's son, called her and told her the story that her dad, that his dad always told him. Okay. Update. We are 15 minutes from Bray Road. We are 15 minutes from Bray Road, so I'll make this story quick. This story is titled The First Documented Case. In 1991, an 18-year-old young woman with dreams larger than the small town she called home, Doris Gibson, was driving home. It was a stormy night, and she found herself driving down the infamous Bray Road, a road that held as many stories as it did turns. Rain lashed against her windshield, reducing visibility to almost nothing. Doris clung to the steering wheel, her knuckles white against the worn-out leather. Suddenly, she felt a jolt. Her car shuddered as if she'd hit something. Her heart pounded in her chest. Oh no, she whispered to herself, hoping against hope that it was just a pothole or a stray branch. Braving the storm, Doris pulled over and stepped out of her car. Her eyes scanned the rain-soaked road, expecting the worst, but found nothing. Confusion washed over her. I could have sworn I hit something, she murmured to herself, glancing around in the dim light of her car's headlights. Then she noticed movement in the corner of her eye. Slowly, she turned her gaze toward the side of the road. Her breath hitched in her throat and her eyes fell upon a hulking figure. A wave of terror crashed over her as she recognized the form of the beast from the countless stories she'd heard growing up. Doris's heart pounded in her chest as she rushed back to her car. She scrambled into the driver's seat, slamming the door shut and fumbling with her keys. As the car roared back to life, she threw one last glance into the rear view mirror, her eyes meeting the piercing gaze of the beast. Just as she put her foot on the accelerator, the beast lunged, landing on the trunk of her car. Doris let out a gasp, her heart hammering against her ribcage. God, help me, she muttered, her grip tightening on the steering wheel. With a jolt, she sped off, the beast struggling to maintain its grip on her car. The heavy rain, which had been a hindrance before, came to her rescue. 
The slick surface offered no purchase for the creature, and it slid off, disappearing into her rearview mirror. When she finally reached the safety of her home, Doris could hardly believe what had happened. Her encounter with the Beast of Bray Road was one that she would remember for the rest of her life, a chilling testament to the legend that continued to haunt the town. Okay. Anna, thoughts? So she got pretty close to it. Uh-huh. And it... She thought she hit something, and so she got out of her car? Right. She heard a thump and was pretty convinced that it might have been a pothole, but she I'm guessing she's a local, so she's driven on that road a million times, so she was probably like, no, that wasn't a pothole. I must have hit something. But that's so unusual in the dark for someone to get out, like, to stop and get out. I mean, you, people hit, and there's roadkill all over <laughs> this area all the time. That's a good point. And, oh, I, I did forget to mention, I think this story was on Halloween night. Okay. And so when she got out of her car... She saw it, or she had hit it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> was it was it the thing that she saw and that she thought she hit? Oh, oh, did she hit the Beast of Bray Road? Yes. Oh, I don't know, and I don't think that that I don't think she knows. Oh. Maybe. Okay. It's not like it was like in the road where she thought she had hit something. Well, she couldn't see anything, so the visibility was down to nothing. And so she described it how as as a just the Beast of Bray Road, like. Yeah, I don't know if she said it fitted all the descriptions, but she said, well, she said it was the beast that she's known about all her life. Okay. And it, she fairly confident that it was on her car, like all those things happened. She was fairly confident. Like she repeated this story with some consistency. Yeah, she re- not only did she repeat this story, uh, the journalist who went to go record it saw the scratch marks on the back of her trunk. Ooh. And did anyone anyone with knowledge of animals examine those scratch marks? Sure. Yeah, they're all farmers, so just anecdotally then. Like Yeah. Do you mean did they hire a zoologist to come out and take a look at the scratch marks to determine whether they were a cryptid or a known species? Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> no. <laughs> they didn't do that. Surprise, surprise. Um because I think that's that's for me an interesting part. Can you tell with like the you know length of scratches or the w- distance between the scratches? Can't you estimate how big something was? All those things that you could put together from that that would be interesting evidence. Right, and I think that they were looking at it and saying that it looked like claw marks, but they were the distance of a human finger of human fingers. So it was a big claw. But this is only to these people who are looking at it. So it's the reporter. And the girl who had just gone through this life-changing experience. So, no one with expertise in actually looking at those things. Um. So, one more thing, two more things to note. One is that I mentioned UFOs. Lights have also been seen hovering around, around this area. So, there's a whole UFO conspiracy theory that goes behind this thing. Also, I already mentioned the demonic thing, but in the 80s and 90s, Guess what kind of a scare went through this area of the country? Satanic panic. Satanic panic. And guess who claims that they were one of the epicenters of this whole thing? Alcorn? Yup. The sheriff at the time, I think, is I don't know if he's the sheriff or he's some kind of law enforcement person. He's in the documentary and he talks about how... he And he tries. He's kind of like... Look, it could have just been kids being kids and, you know, pretending like they were well, worshipping Satan or whatever, you know, or listening to Ozzy Osbourne saying that they are worshipping Satan. He's like, but there was an influx, there has been an influx in animal mutilations, very specific, and there is one man who retired out here in 2007 and bought a farm and has been recording all of the different, taking pictures of and recording all the different strangely mutilated animals that he finds around his farm. Not only that, but if he finds roadkill, he takes it back to his farm, puts it in a known location, puts a trail cam on it, and then takes pictures of what happens to that animal carcass as the days go by. And what has he found? He has found that sometimes the animal carcasses are... Not just decomposing, but there was, I think, a raccoon where 
The insides had been taken out of it and put into a pile next to it, and it had looked like an incision was made to remove them. Wow. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's quite a hobby to have of examining. <laughs> he was a high school science and mathematics teacher before he retired, and so he's kind of doing the scientific method a little bit, you know? He's farming, so... I'm not going to say you have downtime when you're farming. He is. He probably needs reasons to go out to different areas of his field anyway. And this is maybe just a little bit more of a motivation for him to do that. What does he think is going on? He thinks that there is a creature on his property. Oh, wow. Okay. Are... He doesn't think it's paranormal. He's like, it's not paranormal. He's like, it might just be a mutated something, like a, mut- like a mutation of a wolf or a coyote. Well, so this is where we talk about legend and animal life cycles right because if he's been there since 2007 doing this (laughs) and um, and the story before that was 1991 the stories go day back decades like there's got to be a lineage of animals of this species surviving right yeah so if it's not paranormal in the comment section of some of the youtube videos that i watched there are people who are convinced that it is a family of werewolves that live in this area. And their family has been there for generations. Is it possible that it is a family of some non-paranormal canine species? Yeah, 100%. And that's what some of the people believe. I don't, like what you would call paranormal, they're like, it's, it's natural, it's happening in nature. It, there's nothing there. Does it have some features that might not be normal? That might be a little bit off because it's a mutation or something else. Sure, but that doesn't make it paranormal necessarily. Right. So okay. So in this region of North America, we have coyotes. We have all the very obviously dogs and very large dogs. Although it would be strange for like a great Pyrenees species to or group of them to very large dogs to not uh, seek out humans and scavenge. They're scavengers more than they are hunters, so they would they would probably be detected. Are there wolves, or is it possible for wolves to to live or to travel from the north uh, northern parts of North America to here? I don't think wolves are native to this area. Absolutely. And there's different types of coyotes and different types of wolves that are, what is it called? Is it the red wolf or something like that? That's basically half coyote, half wolf. And those are found in North America and this region. It's rare, but it can happen. And also, it's rare for wolves to be around here. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible, right? It's probably more possible that there are wolves here than there is a seven-foot-tall werewolf running around. Yeah, and also, if every road had a guy doing what that guy's doing, I mean, how many other roads might you find some strange things, you know, strange animal that wouldn't seem so strange over time? Like the animals that have been hunted. Yeah, absolutely. But I would also think that, you know, most people are neighbors, very neighborly up here. Farmers help farmers. Uh, it's a it's a very unique culture. Uh, maybe maybe not unique, but far- farmer culture is a very specific type of person, and uh, they all you know band together. They like their privacy. That's why they live out there. But if a farmer needs help from another farmer, they're usually really helpful, and, and they usually respond really well to each other as, as neighbors. The man who moved out here, retired out here, actually talks about how the first time he, he moved out here never knowing that uh, about the Beast of Bray Road, and then when he bought the farm, he needed someone to help him bale hay. And so he went to his neighbors and they said, sure, we'll help you bale hay. And when they were out there baling hay, they started telling him, oh, you live on the farm that the beast lives on. And he's like, what? What beast? And had no idea about any of this and heard all the stories. Uh, He's like, yeah, this farmer saw him and this farmer saw him. There's another part to this where once the Beast of Bray Road got out, there were some people who came out publicly and admitted that they saw it. Once that happened, they all said they regretted saying that they saw it because of all the media attention, all the craziness that happened. And so the town kind of shut down and said, like, we're not saying anything else about this because we don't want the media attention. We want to live in peace. You know, we live we live peacefully with the beast. He hasn't killed anybody. He just kills animals. So why do we care, you know, other than he terrifies our young people? <laughs> 
So it's not a like a community bonding sort of thing or any kind of secondary gain for court, tourist attractions, anything like that. That's what I'm about. I think so, but the journalist who wrote the book, she wrote a book, first of all, and published it recently. Also, there is now a festival. <laughs> <laughs> the Beast of Bray Road Festival. But again, I think, you know, it's a pretty small town. Uh, I think there's only 10,000, population of 10,000. Yep, here we are, Elkhorn. Elkhorn, exit 27A. And uh, I don't, let's see if it says population on there. But pretty small town. You know, I could see it being split 50-50 or even, you know, some other way where some most people just think it's all nonsense but the ones the people who have seen it where i think there have been like hundreds of sightings now it's a it's a little more you know they they, they kind of want it figured out and want uh want to discover what happened yeah so there is that piece of sense of community that keeps these stories going uh and yeah the how common it is for there to be a beast of somewhere <laughs> in in the United States, in North America. There are, there's not just Bigfoot. There are so many of these. Specifically a road, and it's not even like, like Route 66 has the Hellhounds. There's all kinds of, you know, different highways that have um, phantom cars, phantom truckers, that kind of thing. Bray Road is not that long. Like, we'll drive the whole, I think we'll drive the whole thing, right? It, it's only like maybe a 10, 15 minute drive. Uh, nothing crazy. And this is a, a nationally known cryptid. You could actually argue it's an internationally known cryptid. Okay, we are entering Bray Road. Okay. What is the speed limit? Um, it doesn't say. I haven't seen a speed limit sign. It's so I can. I'll describe what I'm seeing. It's very dark. Very very dark. I feel like I could put my brights on. I don't know how in this car that is not mine. Okay, uh, so there are no there are no street lights. Don't know. I'm gonna I'm just gonna go slow as I feel comfortable because there's no one behind me, and there's a big I wouldn't even call it a forest, but there is a, a big collection of trees on my left. Farmland to the right. What are they growing here right now? Soybeans. Houses with property lights and big spotlights on some of them. Not seeing much of anything. But, oh, the, these are some old farmhouses. Beautiful. Just driving down a road like this has a creep factor. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, uh, it does. It's actually been recently paved, which makes it a little bit less creepy. <laughs> it's very nicely paved. Bright yellow lines down the middle. It's not a, it's not a gravel road or a single lane road. And, you know, we, we lived here for a while. Uh, I grew up coming up here, not, not again to the specific town or the specific road or anything like that, but I grew up coming, coming up to northern Illinois, and uh, there's a million roads like this out there. So it doesn't really creep me out, to be honest with you. It just reminds me a little bit of my childhood because uh, we would drive at night sometimes to be able to get to function, family functions, weddings, all that kind of stuff. So this is a very familiar sight for me. Nothing too crazy. You know, there is that. I, I've sometimes as a kid, you know, playing tag in the in the cornfields at night and stuff like that. It's kind of fun to do. It's kind of spooky. And it is. It still is, you know. And, and driving down a place that we don't really recognize is, is always kind of a, has a little bit of a creep factor. Big cornfield on the left. But otherwise more houses. Very nicely manicured lawns. It is, it is pretty typical for, for a road in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so again, farmland, you know, silos. Uh, I don't see any, you know, things to look out for on our funny lights. Um, obviously, any kind of wolf-like creature, <laughs> seven-foot-tall wolf man. That's what I keep looking for. I'm just yeah. looking for a seven-foot wolf-like creature. Um, I, you know, what glimmering eyes in the distance, or I guess we could have the windows down and you could hear... Uh, the sounds. Yeah, when we get to a spot, we'll we'll roll down. I don't want to do it in front of a bunch of houses, so we'll wait till we're a little bit more out into the country area of this road, which could be the death of us. Another phenomena that's kind of happened around here is the failure of electronic uh, electronic equipment, which people always attribute to paranormal 
something, right? Whether that's aliens, whether it's ghosts, whether it's demons, you know, sucking energy out of electronic devices in order to manifest or to do something. Now, the really interesting thing about some of the things that happen here is that it's not just, uh, you know, batteries die or anything like that. There's a cloud, apparently, like a, like a misty cloud that settles on electronics and sucks the energy out of them according to some accounts. So a really interesting, kind of unique type of report that comes out of Bray Road specifically. Okay, I got the spotlight ready. Anna wants us to be ready. She thinks we're gonna see something. I'm excited. I'm excited that Anna. Clear summer night. We might see a deer. We might see a coyote. We might see bunny rabbit, little cottontail bunny hopping across the road. That would be a theme if we see another one of those. You know what's tough, too, is that it is uh, firefly season or lightning bug season, depending on what part of the country you're in. So there are already kind of funky lights happening all throughout the field. It's gorgeous. If you've never been to this area of the country, it's an absolute, you know, it's an absolutely gorgeous part of the country in late spring, early summer, even late summer. Uh, winter and uh, fall's pretty, too, with all the falling leaves. But once it freezes, get the hell out. It's not worth the cold. So cold so cold i i don't even i understand how the animals survive <laughs> i mean i know about hibernation and things but if we do run into the beast of bray road we will ask him how he survives or she could be she we don't know why don't they migrate south <laughs> it's too cold here okay we're in a little bit more of a country kind of area i don't see any houses around so i'm gonna roll down my window we can get some sounds here. So as Anna said, it's a very calm, quiet, clear night here. And that's another thing that the beast doesn't seem to come out in nights like this. I think it usually comes out in nights that are uh, rainy or foggy or hazy or like gray, like a gray winter night. Um, nights that would just make it more difficult for someone to reliably report what animal that they interact with. Right. Uh, one of the other reports I read was that the beast did run along the side of the car and kind of looked in at them. So another thing to keep an eye on is your rear view mirror. It is very dark. So this is not a very well lit road. It's a country road. Again, if you if you live in the country or you've been out in the country, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, corn or soybeans on either side of the road. So that's an added factor. It's a very dark road. So again, making it difficult to reliably report what you see. So we're driving along. Oh, there's a house that's really close to the road. Kind of sneaks up on you. Okay, we are really deep in Bray Road now, but we are we are right in the middle of Bray Road. Again, cornfields on the right, cornfields on the left, some houses. Really, not a whole lot of wildlife. I'm kind of surprised by that. I'd figure there'd be at least raccoons, and we would have seen a raccoon or a possum by now. Lots of foxes in this area of the country as well. But maybe it's because the beast is hunting. And we should know no other vehicles are behind us or in front of us or have crossed any of the streets. Right. I don't know if you could hear that, but Anna said there are no other vehicles, nothing behind us, nothing in front of us. Most of the houses look pretty closed up for the night. What time is it? It's 9.47, so it's almost 10 o'clock. So it's just about, just about bedtime for farmers. A little more residential area here. Several houses kind of close together. It's amazing what legend story or expectancy does to your perception in a very otherwise an unstimulating environment like a quiet dark road <laughs> yeah we've definitely been primed we're kind of we're, we're kind of doing this 
in the way that anybody would do it, which is, you know, or a group of kids might do it, I guess I should say, which is you hear about, what was that? I don't know. Oh. The roof. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. I smell a skunk. I smell a skunk too. Okay, so we smell a skunk. That means that there is a skunk in the area. Um, ooh, now we're getting into a really heavily... Someone's field right there. That is a random light. Okay, Anna just saw a random light in someone's field. I do... Is there a haziness that's kind of starting? Do you see that, or is that just me? Uh, well, we're getting into more of a canopy section of the road here, where the trees are very close. It's not fields right now, it's trees on both sides. We're in the kind of forest section of the road. And so it's kind of natural to have uh, more of a haze but in a, in a wooded area like this. Yeah, some turnoffs here. I feel like that was weird. That was a weird section of the road because the tree started to crowd in on us a little bit and then maybe something hit the roof of our car like a leaf or a branch um, but what I'm not going to do when that happens is stop my vehicle and get out <laughs> um, and then we smelled that skunk so it was just a lot of a lot coming at us relatively on that section of the road yeah that's a good point there's like a lot of sensory things that happened all at once uh, we heard something we saw something and we smelled something like all at once and so I know that the Beast of Bray Road comes with a scent to it, but it was like a rot. It wasn't a rotting flesh scent. It was a. Um, it was clearly a skunk. <laughs> All right, are we coming up to the end here? Wow, here we go. Okay, we're coming to the end. Are we going to turn around and go back the other way? Okay. What we make of this? Yeah, yeah, we're kind of hitting a little bit, like this area of the road. This this road is a little bit more bouncy or uh you know not not as finished it's a bouncy road you know <laughs> bumpy road. a bumpy road i was gonna say now we're turning on bowers road and you know there have been they call it the beast of bray road but that's not where that's where a lot of the sightings are but that's not where all of the sightings are so it's actually like there's different counties that it's been sighted in but this is like the main the main area it's been yeah, spotted so in okay we're turning back around on a bray road i'm going to roll up my window not because i'm scared but just because we should talk about our experiences here as we're driving along here yeah if this were the first time that I'd driven down a road like this or you know I'd been primed by years of hearing my fellow local farmers and, and neighbors talk about a beast that lives on this road and I hit a coyote or I hit a deer or I hit something it might be in my mind to think that you know, to even imagine that I saw something. I'm not saying that's what happened here. There could totally be a wolf that lives on this road. I don't know. Uh, or just a really big coyote. Or a wild dog. But again, I grew up, you know, coming out to roads like this, and, and so there's nothing super spooky about it. But most of the people who have been who have reported things have been locals. So they're used to roads like this. They're used to the feel of, you know, being surrounded by fields and, and nothingness and used to being out in the fields at night and sometimes working at night too. Anna, how do you feel? How do I feel? I feel fun. <laughs> the excitement and spook factor has passed for sure. And just recognizing, we, yeah, we're just driving down a country road. That's about it. And I, I think you bring up a good point, however, that if unusual things keep happening on this road and reported by people who live here, then this is an unusual road because they drive down these roads all the time. So could there be an unusual species living around here doing things? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I think for me, I'm really more interested in talking about like broadly why do these kinds of legends persist and the beast or the um florida has one too they the skunk ape sasquatch bigfoot all those and the and the werewolf piece of it's really interesting to me too it's like there's a particular that's a separate that, that that's a cryptid that's been around in stories for centuries before the state was even this, before this road was even named, you know, 
And so it's it's an interesting one because it kind of combines. It's a lot of the places seem to want to have their own thing, like the Skunk Cape of Florida. It's very specific, but this is like t- taking a werewolf and putting it in a place where it's like our this is our werewolf. <laughs> that's interesting. To me. Yeah, absolutely. And and so that's something that's come up in my research as well with Bray Road is that this is either Bigfoot or werewolf. The Native American factor is in there with the skinwalker and the burial grounds, right? So this is kind of a, a very common North American cryptid slash tale of a wolf, right? And in Western culture in general, there's a wolf, right? There's there's a there's the big bad wolf, right? Little Red Riding Hood. There's a million other tales where like there are wolves, Beauty and the Beast. So many things about wolves chasing you because wolves are, are supposed to be hunters. They're and they're known to have killed humans, especially back in the day, right? Not so much anymore. <laughs> Once we kinda got guns going on and enough people had them, the wolves left started leaving us alone. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I definitely it's a, there's a creep factor to it, but only because of some of the priming that we did ahead of this, right? So I don't think there's anything that we've we need to cover that we haven't covered before when it comes to anything paranormal. Anna, is there anything psychologically that like we should be uh, that we haven't talked about already? We've talked about priming. We've talked about folklore and how people, uh, you know, lots of people have have heard these stories and lots of people have told these stories. Is there is there anything else going on? Uh, yeah, and we also talked about like from a perceptual, sensory combination factor of like these stories do seem to tend to be as you said on nights and weather conditions where it's difficult to really see things clearly even if a person strongly believes what they saw was a paranormal animal it's hard to say it's it's, they didn't just say yeah it was a wolf it was a a coyote or a rabid dog you know that that they went into it was not an an animal it was a, a humanoid beast that's pretty wild leap and so i think that people in heightened fear states are more likely to to make those sort of leaps okay and so i don't know are we are we good uh yeah i i think oh i guess i would yeah i think i've kind of highlighted again that to, to investigate this properly it shouldn't be us <laughs> um maybe not like a local just scooping stuff up off the road that's a good start but certainly like collaborate with zoologists you've got the university of wisconsin here some really smart people you could see if they can uh come out and and do kind of a animal study you know those would be the people Okay. And so I think that closes out this week's episode. It's a very special episode, a lot of fun to prep for, a lot of fun to actually execute. We definitely have some technical things we could work out, but for the most part, I think it went pretty well. If you have any stories yourself of the Beast of Bray Road, or you want us to investigate a paranormal story from your neck of the woods, please write into stories at paranormaloutsiders.com, and we will look into it. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank <laughs> you.